19 tonight, 1 Samuel 19. I was reading a story this week about how Franklin Roosevelt, uh, he often, he of course had, as any president, long lines of people who wanted to uh, meet him and shake his hand. And he complained because he says, nobody ever listens to what I say. Uh, they're, you're just enamored. And so um, he kind of figured it was a little bit of a waste of time. So one day during one of these receptions, he decided to try an experiment. And to every person that passed down the line and shook his hand, he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And then uh, just to see the response. And they would say, marvelous, keep it up, good job. You know, wouldn't listen to what he says. It bothers you and people don't listen to what you have to say, right? So we're proud of you and just uh, kept on going online. So every one of them, I, I murdered my grandmother this morning. It wasn't until the end of the line while he was greeting the ambassador for Bolivia and uh, he said the same thing and the, and the ambassador actually heard him and leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. So uh, <laughs> it's frustrating when people don't hear you. <laughs> Hopefully that's not an issue tonight. First Samuel 19, uh, the, the animosity that Saul had for David and, and as we're going through the life of Saul, uh, in chapter 18, verse 29, this, it, it wasn't an animosity that was a short-lived thing. This lasted his whole life. In 1829, it says he became David's enemy continually. So it was an ongoing, uh, and you know, if you've ever dealt with bitterness or hatred, once it starts to grow in you, like the, the Bible says in the New Testament, don't let bitterness spring up within you. Once it starts growing, it's hard to stop it, and it just continues to get worse until it consumes you, and that's what's happening with Saul. So uh, the, it's more than just animosity. He's trying to figure out how he can murder David. So it's a serious thing. He hated David, continually attacked him, and say uh, if we look at how he attacked David, we really see some comparisons to how Satan attacks us as well as Christians. Uh, Satan attacks the valuable. Saul attacked the valuable. David's the most valuable person in his kingdom, and he's trying to kill him. Satan does that. Uh, in attacking David, uh, Saul was attacking the person that was more, of more value than anybody else. Uh, and Satan's always attacking those things of great value or people of great value. We should not be surprised when in our culture, uh, the prince of the power of the air, which he is, attacks things like the word of God, attacks things like churches. And, and uh, when he attacks Mary... You can't watch television very long. You don't see marriage attacked. Um, who, who does God put as the head of the home? The husband. Who actually pictures the relationship God has with us? Uh, every sitcom you ever watch uh, is, is uh, making the husband into a bumbling fool. Uh, everything that God holds in high value, high regard, the world attacks. So prayer, holy living, the Lord's day uh, is under attack uh, in our culture today. So he attacks the valuable. Not only that, uh, his attacks were vicious. He repeatedly tried to murder David, and Satan also gets vicious in his attacks. He's used persecution in the past. I say in the past. He's using it today, too. Just We're insulated here, but in many places in the world, people are dying for their faith, just like they did years ago. Uh, in America, it's probably more like materialism and distraction that Satan uses to get us off track. But in this message here, we want to look at how Jonathan, Saul's son, was able to curb some of Saul's animosity for a short time. So let's look, uh, starting at verse number 1, chapter 19. And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. 
Now therefore I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I say that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant against David, because he hath not sinned against thee. And because his works have been to thee word very good, for he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. And thou sawest it and didst rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened to the voice of Jonathan momentarily. I'm adding that word, but it wasn't long, but he did. So let's look at what prompted this uh, intervening by Jonathan. Uh, Saul speaks and tells his servants and Jonathan that they should kill David. This was a bloody command. Saul wanted David dead like a lot of dictators in history who go after anybody that might threaten their power or might threaten the throne, uh, killing them. And, and uh, it makes you wonder, how did Saul sink to this level? Remember, he was a goodly man when he first became king. He's an Israelite. He's a Christian. He's one of God's people. How did he sink this level? Well, chapter 15, verse 26 tells us. You don't have to turn there, but the Bible says he rejected the word of the Lord. And when you reject the word of God, as Saul did, uh, your heart will become evil. By the way, when a nation rejects the word of God, it will become evil as well. Uh, the, there's no surprise that in our culture, abortion, homosexualism, and transgenderism, and all the other isms that should have been wasms, uh, the, all those things are prevalent today, and in the 1960s, as a nation, we rejected the Bible. We rejected the Word of God. We took it out of our schools. We took it out of our institutions. And is there any surprise that sin is reigning in our nation today? Not at all, because that's what happens when you reject the Word of God. And that's what Saul did. You can't have holy character apart from the Word of God. That's part that works together. So this directive really shows now that Saul is unashamed of his sin. Before he kind of hid it a little bit. Remember when he wanted to kill David last lesson we talked about, and he has him go out and, and get a hundred foreskins from the Philistines, and David goes out and gets two hundred. Well, his hope was that David would go out and endanger himself and possibly get killed, and of course that did not work. But that was subtle. Now he just comes out brazenly and tells them, this is exactly what I want to do. The pride of evil is seen when men come out of the closet with their evil, or they're no longer hiding it. They're, they're upfront about it. Saul does this with a royal summons, which kind of dignifies it in his mind. Now it's, a, it's the king's command, it's the king's wish to kill David, and so this makes it right to do so. And dignifying sin is a practice by people since the beginning of time. We call it something that's more palatable uh, than, than what God calls it. You know, it, it's a lot... It's, wouldn't you agree that pro-choice sounds better than murder? You know, that's, that's, a, that's putting... Or uh, alcoholism sounds better than drunkenness, you know what I'm saying? We put a lot of different spins on, on uh, sins that God calls, and, and we're di dignifying it. When we don't repent of our sin, then we're soon going to give respect to our sin. And we, and then we're going to dignify it the way that Saul did here. Dignifying sin is a habit of unrepentant sinners, and we need to be careful that we don't do so in our life. When we don't, uh, uh, instead of our, 
instead of hiding our sin in our nation today, we have marches celebrating it. And we have whole months set aside to celebrate uh, the sins in our nation. So we need to be very careful uh, that we don't do so in our life. So that's how sin works even in our lives personally. We first, we condemn it, and then we tolerate it, and then we accept it, and then we advocate it. It just, it, it moves that, uh, that's the path of sin in our life. We need to be, uh, we need to always look at sin the way God does. Amen? How God calls it, we call it. We see here that Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. God is still in control behind the scenes. And it's easy, by the way, folks, for God to foil the plans of men, isn't it? I mean, we get really bent out of shape sometimes with the way society is going or the way the political landscape is and our future and what's the, you know, what's going to happen with the money situation and the, and, uh, all the, uh, bad economy. But, but God's in control of these things and He can turn these things around. And so man can get all kinds of elaborate schemes to devise uh, in, in himself to do evil. Uh, God's, God can make them fall flat. Um, so Jonathan told David about what was going on. He said in, in verse 2, My father seeketh to kill thee. Told him in plain words the danger he's in. He didn't use kind words so as not to offend. He just gave him the truth straight out, which is what we need to do. True friends are honest about what awaits their loved ones. True friends will be honest with danger. We should remember this when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to giving the gospel to our friends and neighbors and loved ones. And sometimes we don't witness because we think it's unloving. And is it loving not to tell someone the truth of the future? Of course not. We need to be faithful in that area. Um, I like this this in verse 2, take heed, abide in a secret place. Not only did he give him the uh, danger of the command, he gave him the deliverance in, in that command. So abide in this secret place. Uh, you know, we're not only to warn people of uh, destruction to come and what, what uh, you know, the judgment of sin, but we're also to give them the deliverance. Amen? Christ died for the sins and they can, uh, they can have uh, forgiveness for their sins. And by the way, we also can tell people about a secret place. Psalm chapter 91, verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And uh, what a blessing that is. So, Jonathan then goes to Saul. And he talks to Saul, his father, tries to talk some sense into him. And I like what he does here. Look at verse 4. He spake good of David. By the way, this is dangerous. This was not a, you know, Saul's... We know he's almost out of his mind because David's been having to play the harp when the evil spirit comes, and he's tried to kill David several times already. So we know he's 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 having some mental issues already, and uh, so this is not a safe thing for him to do. But he does it anyway, and he talked about David's victory over Goliath and over the Philistine as the uh, works of David and what great and good works they were. He 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 shows him the works of David. Had David not defeated Goliath, then the Israelites would be under Philistine tyranny right now. In fact, Saul would probably be dead or imprisoned. He would be, uh, uh, he, 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 he's attacking the one that delivered him from all that. How wicked it is to attack the one who has done so much for us. I think of the Garden of Eden. Remember when the serpent came to Eve and tempted her? Think about 
they had water, they had food, they had perfect environment, no mosquitoes. Whew, that would have been nice, the Garden of Eden. Uh, no snake, well, they had one snake, but they had snakes like we have. So no poisonous snakes. They had all this just perfect, and God had done that. God had done all that. And here comes someone who had done nothing for them, not a thing, but he looked good. How many times have you dealt with this with your teenagers? You, you've done everything for them. You've raised them, fed them, doctored them, loved them, bought food for them, put un, uh, unimaginable amount of investment into them, and then some young greaseball comes by, and because he looks good, they throw aside what you have, and they go after this. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's what we do to God sometimes. And uh, it's a good thing for us to remember, because we tend to do the same thing uh, to, to our Savior who's done everything for us, and we cast that aside and follow something that looks good or sounds good. Uh, that's a sad thing. So he talked about the works of David, and then the witness about David. He said, thou sawest it, pops. You saw what he did. And this isn't just hearsay. And then look at the uh, welcome of David. John, Jonathan reminded Saul that you didst rejoice in what David did. David's goodness brought joy to Saul uh, and to all Israel, he said. Yet now you're going to kill him? How unreasonable is this? But again, this is the modus operandi of the world that we live in today. For example, who is the greatest source of all the blessings of mankind? Jesus Christ. Every good gift cometh from above, cometh from the Father of lights. So when he came to earth, what did they do? Welcome him with open arms? They crucified him. We tend to do that humankind, hurt the ones who help us the most. And uh, let's not do it in our life, for sure. That's something that we can make sure we don't apply. Uh, then they're wrong against David. Verse 5, Wherefore then shalt thou sin against innocent blood and slay David without a cause? The conclusion was a very logical question as the climax of his argument. He comes to, he, he finishes it up, Why in the wide world then would you kill him? Even Saul's thick head was penetrated here, and he backed off. Verse 6, he hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. He had uh, impressive repentance outwardly, but unfortunately it never got to the heart. It was superficial repentance. It didn't make any real difference long term in his life. It's often hard to tell true repentance from false repentance, isn't it? Of course, that's not our job anyway. But uh, we've all seen... People will come to church, they'll get saved, they'll make a decision for Christ, and then as soon as the pressure hits, they fold underneath that. Uh, it's, it reminds me of what the Bible says in Mark seven, when, uh, Mark chapter 4, 17, where Jesus is talking about the soils. And he said, when affliction or persecution arises for the word, world's sake, go back, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Talking about the seed falling on rocky ground. And in Luke 8, 13, in time of temptation, they fall away. When you don't have a true conversion experience and it's just words or, or just something superficial, uh, they, it, it won't last. It's, it's like the seed in Jesus' parable. It gets taken away. So this is what Saul was doing. And, you know, again, we can, we can do uh, something that looks good to people, but it's got to be in here. And for Saul, it wasn't in here. It was just... He realized how utterly ridiculous he's being. So at some level, he realized how mistaken he was, 
and he repented, but he didn't really, we're going to see it in a little bit here. So now J David's restored. Remember, he had been demoted. Now he's restored. And uh, he, Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. So now he's doing back to doing what he was doing before. And immediately, David was valiant again. And uh, look at what uh, verse 8, And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. Immediately, he's a war hero again. <laughs> ah, Saul, dealing with jealousy. Arr, he sees David out there being successful. This uh, restoration of David's is like many restorations the world gives to God's people. It's temporary. I think of Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh Moses? How many times did Pharaoh say, okay, fine, you can go. Go. Ten times. Even the tenth time, he changed his mind after they went, went to chase him down, got to the Red Sea with him. Uh, he, he gave him... He gave them what they wanted, but only for a short while. Don't get too excited about promotions you get from the world. And by the way, don't get too disappointed at promotions you don't get from the world either. It's not there. Well, the Bible says promotion comes from above. Amen. That's what we've got to look at. Uh, we ought to serve our, in our life for an audience of one, and it's not uh, to please people. Now, verse 9, uh, the, the, an evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul. Why? Well, verse 9 happened because verse 8 happened. When did, when did Saul get angry? Jealous? When David did well. So verse 8 happened, and so now Saul has the evil spirit again. Uh, what triggered it? Well, what triggered it was David's success against the Philistines. B.C. Forbes said this, Jealousy is a mental cancer. And it is. Man, oh man. Have you ever known anybody? Maybe you've experienced in your life as well, being jealous? Ever known anybody that's super jealous? I've... I've uh, had to, unfortunately, counsel in relationships of people who are the jealous types. Oh, I can't imagine living with that. I'm so grateful. Uh, my wife and I have talked about it in our marriages. 1,000% trust. I mean, there's just no, not even a hint of a thought that the other would stray. And so it doesn't bother us at all. There's none of that. I can't imagine living with jealousy. I wouldn't want to have it and I wouldn't want to be the recipient of it. Amen? But this is what Saul has. It's a mental cancer. And this cancer starts eating away at Saul again. And William Penn uh, said the jealous are troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. And this is what's happening in his own, within his spirit. He's being tormented by this jealousy. He's being filled with envy. And as much, he has as much trouble with this victory as he does the victory that he had against Goliath. He can't stand that someone else is getting credit. He, envy cannot simply cannot stand to see its rivals be successful. Envy, uh, envy is, we could stop and park on envy for a while, but man, that is a wicked sin, and it's such a destructive thing to be envious. Let's not ever be envious of one another. I mean, if something good happens to someone, let's be grateful for it, encourage, be thankful, and, and move on. But envy, oh my goodness, envy is that green monster that will eat you alive if you let it. Let's not be envious. This is what's happening to Saul. And we'd better get our control on our passions or our passions are going to get control of us. This is what's happening to Saul. He was no longer in control. So, verse 9, David played with his hand. When Saul's problem of madness came, uh, David's harp again was the remedy. And now, by the way, this required several things from David to come play the harp. First of all, it required humility. David's a, 
war general. Verse 8, there's war again. David's out there, and he's the general patent of their, of their time there. He's out there winning victories and got the Philistine army running from him. And then he gets his next summons. Need you to come in and play the harp. It require a little humility, I would think, you know, to go from being a victorious general's uh, leader of men to whatever, you know, playing the harp. So uh, David did it, though, as he always did. David always was, was faithful. He went back to watching the sheep after he was crowned king or uh, anointed king as the next king. So we need, to, we need to be like David was in this area. We lose a lot of opportunities for service if pride gets in the way. And pride so often does get in our way if we're not careful. Stay humble, and you will not lack for ways to serve. They'll, they'll be opened up in front of you. Not only did it require humility, it required courage. Do you remember what happened the last two times he's played for Saul? He had to poof, dodge a javelin that was thrown at him. And so now he had to come back, and, and uh, it requires some courage because he's already been tried to be killed once. You know, what is it? Try to kill me once, shame on me. Try to kill me two, three, four times, shame on you, uh, or vice versa. Well, here he is back here, and uh, courage is a part of it. Courage is always a part of our duty. Verse 9 and 10, Saul sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. This cracks me up. So he's sitting there. This, this had to be even worse for David because he's sitting there. Uh, you need to go in and play for the king. He's having one of his episodes again, and he's holding his javelin in his hand. I would, uh, yeah, go in and get that javelin. Maybe I'll play. I'd be more comfortable playing if he puts that javelin down. But two times he had chucked a javelin at David. Now here he is with it in his hand. And I ask you, is it any surprise he does it again? No. He's got it in his hand. He had the opportunity of evil at hand. He had his javelin right there. And if you keep opportunity to, to sin right at hand, guess what's going to happen? You're going to sin. Just, that's, what, that's why the Bible says make no provision for the flesh. You keep liquor in the cabinet and you'll probably fail to stop your drinking habit. If you keep a pack of cigarettes in your shirt pocket, you're probably not going to be able to quit smoking. Keep access to pornography on your phone or computer, you're probably not going to have victory over it. You know what I'm saying? you got to get rid of that stuff. you got to get it out of your life. You have to separate yourself from it. And here he's sitting there with the javelin in his hand. The devil can put enough evil in our pathway. Let's not help him in his cause. Amen? Let's uh, do all we can to not make provision for the flesh. Now, Saul sought to smite, uh, this verse 10, David even to the wall with the javelin. Boy, David must have been a great dodgeball player. <laughs> he kept being able to dodge that thing every time. He slipped out of Saul's presence and David fled and escaped. David escaped from the attack by separating himself from Saul. It's a good illustration, by the way. Separation helps us in getting rid of the sin in our life, getting rid of the danger. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a lot of times it's not that popular anymore in church to talk about separation. There's things we don't do, uh, things that uh, the Bible forbids. And, you know, it's, 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 highly, it, it's highly unpopular today to preach against social drinking. Man, 10, 20, 30 years ago, pfft, preacher wouldn't think about preaching against social drinking. And today it's a little bit more of a buzz thing. I like that, like a lot of people think that that's allowed. I don't know how. It's all through the Bible, but but uh, I'm just saying separation. It might not be popular, but it'll sure help us live holy lives. It help us to live right if we separate, and that's how David protected himself here. 
Though he had been restored, David was still on guard. He knew there was still danger, and when evil appeared here, he took appropriate action to get away from it. That's a good example to all of us about sin and temptation. We've got to keep our guard. Always have to be on guard against it. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, the word keep there means to guard, to watch, to watch over, to keep. I mean, that's like you know, those security guards, you see. And they're uh, guarding an entrance to some place. That's what we should do. We always got to be guarding our heart. The heart is the source of our behavior. Uh, If we allow sin into our heart, what will happen is it will pollute our entire life. In the next verse, Solomon also warns us to guard our lips because they can get us into sin. Amen? (laughs) The words that we say. Spurgeon said that if all of our sins at the end of our life were divided into two piles, one pile alone would be sins of of the mouth. Words we say. And I don't have any hard time believing that. And so, a guarded, we, we, need to, we need to guard our heart. The heart controls the tongue, according to Luke 6.45, so a guarded heart will result in guarded lips. Satan loves to make us complacent about sin. He loves to get us used to it. He loves to get us desensitized to it. It's one of the things, I'm, you know, this is also not a popular thing to preach about, but video games... You know, video games, I know there's nothing inherently evil about video Well, there's some of them that are, obviously, but in the concept. But, uh, you know, I, I played for five minutes one time in my life. I probably shouldn't confess this in church, but it was a game called Halo. Anybody know that? So, anyway, it was a shoot 'em up game. I'm thinking, you know, as I as I just, I'm no good at that kind of stuff. I was too old already at that time, so, uh, but... You know, that has to desensitize people. It has to. Blowing up people just, you know, all day long. And, and uh, again, we need to be wise about these things, but Satan likes to make us complacent about sin. How desensitized are we in what women wear in these day and age? You know, we're just desensitized to it. I saw the other day a uh, little thing was online about old pictures, and and it showed a... A girl being, she was in handcuffs, being ushered off the beach, and she was under arrest because her swimsuit, which was long sleeves, it didn't come far enough down. It showed like that much of the bottom part of her leg. So it was a full body suit, you know, but it, it showed too much. So they arrested her. That don't happen no more, amen? Uh, there's a few that probably should be arrested for it. But uh, I'm just saying we've been desensitized as a society. We just don't think about these things anymore. That's what Satan wants. If he can get us complacent, it lets down our guard and it makes it easier for him to tempt us. You need to be careful. Always keep an alert on your weaknesses, on your tender spots. As far we call it, the Bible calls it the sin that so easily besets it. We call it a pet sin. That's a little too cute, but you understand what I'm saying. We all struggle in certain areas, so we need to watch ourselves in that. We need to guard it. David did what we should all do in the face of evil. Verse 10, David fled. This is a strong reaction to evil, but it's necessary sometimes, especially temptations of the flesh. We need to flee. Uh, I, <laughs> we'd all agree the best time to make a decision about purity is not when you're in the back seat of the car with another person, you know what I'm saying? 
Uh, flee those situations. That's what happened, what we ought to do. The Bible talks a lot about fleeing from evil. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee from idolatry. 1 Timothy 6.11, flee these things, talking about materialism. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. We all are familiar with the story in Genesis 39 where Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And I love the words it used in Genesis 39. He got him out. <laughs> he run like the wind is what he did. He, she grabbed his coat, he slipped out of his coat, and he was out of there. He got him out. And there's a lot of times in our life when we succumb to temptation because we don't get ourselves out. And uh, sometimes we need to flee. Those who are slow about getting away from evil are often caught doing it. And so we need to be careful about that. Amen? Learn some lessons from David. Thank you, Father, for loving us. We pray.